0: Well, join me now in Luke chapter 17 as we take on the next of our Lord's parables in Luke's gospel. And this one, oh, this one's a short one, but so, so profound. Jesus is going to take us to a fundamental understanding of who we are, why we exist. He's going to remind us in this parable that we are servants of God. In fact, I want to invite you to ask this question of yourself this morning. Ask this question why did God create me? And if you're among the saved, why did God save me? And here's the answer to that. God created you that you would know him, that you would love him, that you would enjoy him, that you would follow him. And that yes, you would serve him all the days of your life here and throughout all of eternity. Now, how does your heart react to that reality that you are a servant? Some people say, I, I, don't, I don't know that I wanna embrace that word servant, that feels demeaning to me. I prefer to think about my relationship with God as I'm an adored child of God. That's where I let my mind stay. And we'll talk about that, that's a wonderful truth too. But maybe you reject the word Servant. Maybe you would even say something like this. I like to think that God exists to serve me. I like to operate in the understanding that God is serving me as I carry out my life ambitions, as I go about the things that I've desired for myself. Well, if that's your heart this morning, Jesus is going to strike a blow to your pride today. He's going to tell us and emphasize in this parable that you are a servant. Now brace yourself, not just that, an unworthy servant. Let's look at it together. Luke 17, just verses seven through 10 this morning. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him who has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Here in this parable, Jesus brings up a common relationship of that day of a master and and servants. And here, as he describes it, it would be a servant that worked outside of the home, maybe in an agricultural setting, but also inside the home. Maybe somebody who was a farmhand slash cook and had both of those responsibilities. And Jesus said, if you were a farmer like that, you had a situation like that. If the person who was working for you worked outside, when they come in to do the next part of their job, you wouldn't say, no, no, you sit down and I will serve you. So you, you don't do that. That's not the arrangement. That person's going to, after working outside, change their clothes, clean up, now serve you dinner. And then after all that, they will take their dinner. And then Jesus gives us the singular point of this quick parable. Verse 10, see it again. Here's the point of this parable. So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. So on our way to talking about what this does mean, how we should apply it, let's talk about what this does not mean. First of all, Jesus is not indicating with this parable that God only views you as a servant. There are plenty other places in the scripture he tells you of all the different facets of this wonderful relationship we have with God. But in this parable, he's making it very clear as he emphasizes, oh, but you are a servant neither is this a parable where we're taking away application that we should not thank each other for service so we're told here we shouldn't be the mindset thinking god ought to be thanking me <laughs> but the application's not well and i'm not going to thank anybody else for their service so here it is it's mother's day please don't have application well you know what i learned from luke 17 was i shouldn't even thank my mom she's just doing her duty no that's not how this goes this is us applying this to ourselves of course we're going to thank people all around us for their service. And here's another thing that this does not mean. This does not mean that God will not reward you for your service. We'll talk about in a moment. But Jesus here is teaching very clearly on this occasion, how we should view ourselves. And we should understand this. We cannot be prideful in our service to the Lord. We cannot act like God owes us something in response to our service. But sometimes people get it all confused and they will think because of what I do, God owes me certain things. Maybe when something goes wrong in their lives, it's when it surfaces, something goes wrong. And that person says, after all I've done for God, after all I've done for him, I cannot believe he's let this happen in my life. If you're thinking that way, let's just check that a moment. Do you really believe that God owes you something? Do you really believe that God should be thanking you? for serving him. Consider with me every act of service you've ever done for God. It originated with him and was powered by him. So think of it this way. You've done some things for God. That's great. But think of it. God created you. You have no life to give in service to him if he didn't make you. So the service you're giving, you you have to give him thanks for that because he gave you a life. And if you ever served him, he prompted you to serve him. So this is really his idea that you step forward to serve. And any spiritual gift you had to use in service to him, that came from him. Any natural abilities, any skills, that's all from him. So even in our service to him, we have to give praise to him. When I was 15 years old, I spent a month one summer with my grandparents. And my grandparents, when they retired, they moved to another town and they, they were able to build a house in a lake community. And they had some wealthy neighbors. And one of their neighbors was Mr. Denning right across the street. And Mr. Denning's property was actually on the lake. And it was such a beautiful house that when people would kind of go by on the boats on the lake, they would think that was some kind of camp. And I don't mean youth camp, this wasn't rustic. This was like a place like like Camp David or something, like where, where important people might gather to make decisions, it looked that nice. And so Mr. Denning, he, he asked me if I would cut the grass for that month that I was there. So it was a chance for me to make some money. And so, um, so I did, I cut grass and I made a little money. But the point I'm making is I really deserved very little, if any, of the money. Because that lawnmower that I used to cut Mr. Denning's grass belonged to my grandfather. And the gasoline in that lawnmower was put in there by my grandfather. And the, the energy I had to go cut that grass, that's because my grandmother was feeding me wonderfully for that month. And so the energy, the hydration, all that's coming from my grandparents. And then notice this. Then my grandfather took his second lawnmower and he helped me cut Mr. Denning's grass. As I was thinking about it again this morning. And it was my grandfather who killed the copperhead on that lawn that we were cutting. So who should have gotten the pay for cutting Mr. Denning's yard? It should have been my grandfather. It really all originated with him. And so you and I, we think about what am I bringing to the Lord in service to him? Only things that he first brought into my life. This is only right that I would serve him. And so really with that as a foundation, I want you to embrace several statements with me. Now, I had a week-long head start on you for this passage. Been thinking on it all week. And so I've already embraced these. I'm going to affirm it again now. But would you... Would you embrace these with me? Here's the first statement I would love for you to embrace. Here it is Jesus is Lord, and I am his servant. Jesus is Lord, and I am his servant. I wish you would take a moment with me right now to clarify how you and God relate. Consider with me who God is. God is, as we've said, he is your creator, he is the savior. As Jesus teaches us here, he indeed is the master. He is the Lord. So then who are we? Well, our identity is servant. Our mentality is humility and submission to him. Our life is to be lived in obedience to him, in service to him. So it would be unthinkable to understand this and go, and I don't serve him. I don't intend to serve him. I love reading James's letter, and I love how James opens up his letter. Here's how he identifies himself. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Same word here that James uses. Dulos is the word. And I love that. James said, "Here's who I am. Here's how I'm going to introduce myself. Now if you know anything about this, James James could have introduced himself in some more impressive ways. This James was the half-brother of Jesus. And of course, the Holy Spirit's inspiring him to write, so he's writing exactly like the Lord wants. But I was just imagine if I were writing a letter, if I were James, and if I were just writing in the flesh, I would have found ways to weasel that into the writing. You know, I'm, I'm actually the half-brother of Jesus. But he doesn't go there. James, you might know, was an unbeliever during the childhood of Jesus and Jesus' early ministry and all that, not, not believing until the resurrection. Knowing the crucifixion and resurrection now, of course, okay, this is, this is the Savior. And of course, James went on to be one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church, but he didn't bring that up here when he said, James leader of the Jerusalem church doesn't go there. He speaks in a way that's common to every believer in Jesus Christ. He says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he identified himself. So let me ask you, is that how you would describe yourself? Do you know that about yourself? Is that foundational to your view of you that you are a servant of, of God. When people ask you, Hey, tell me about yourself. Now I recognize you're probably not going to lead with this. And I know in some settings that'd be like, why, why are you bringing that up? But I just mean in your mind that when somebody says tell me about you, that this comes into your mind, that, that my life, you, you really want to know about me. I may not be able to tell you all this right now, but my life is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. My life makes no sense apart from Jesus. And I hope in your mind, when somebody asks you about you, even if you can't say it all, you're having to edit it and keep it in your head. In some occasions I'm a servant of God. That is key to my understanding of my existence. And in this relationship with God, there's just one leader. Some of those who, all of those who serve in the military, they live with a daily awareness that I'm not in charge of my life. Somebody higher than me in the chain of command could tell me today that I'm going to go live and serve somewhere else. That's just the life of somebody in the military. And you and I have that same mentality. There's a leader in my life and I'm not he. God is the leader. I'm in a chain of command and I'm not anywhere near the top. Jesus calls the shots. Think about it with me all throughout the Bible. Every time God describes your relationship with him, he's always the leader. No exception. Here's an example. God says of himself, I'm the potter you're the clay. The clay is not the leader. Jesus said, I'm the vine, your branches. The branches are not giving life. The God said, Jesus himself said that I'm the shepherd, the good shepherd. And what are we? We are sheep. Sheep are not leading. Oh, aren't you glad that through your faith in Jesus, he is your father, but that makes you a child and the child is not in charge. And here Jesus reminds us that God is the master and we are servants. So there's no other way to relate to God than submission to God, that he is the leader. Now, you might be here today and you're saying, well, you know, I, I hear you, Jim, and that's how you do it. Good for you. But I have a different arrangement. God and I have a different understanding. I actually set the limits on his leadership in my life. I, I kind of set the parameters for how this goes. So I'm kind of kind of sharing the leadership with God. There's a, there's a name for that. That's Sin. That's just simple, sinful living. In fact, if you were to say that Jesus is my savior, but he's not my Lord, then he's likely neither in your life. If you say, no, no, I I accept that he can be my savior, but he's not my Lord. Listen, you can't do that. Jesus is Lord. You can't strip that from him and say, well, I'll just take the savior part. And he's not the Lord. No, that is who he is. And we relate to him, grateful for his salvation and then surrender to follow him. Listen, settle that today and settle that every day. Jesus is Lord and I am his servant. Here's a second statement I want you to embrace with me today. It's this statement. God is first. God is first in my life. So notice in the parable, Jesus talks about this man working outside, comes inside and Jesus says, you're not gonna start serving the servant. The servant keeps on serving. And then after the needs have been met in the household, then the servant takes care of his own needs. And so let me ask you, who is first in your relationship with God? Do you put God first? Do you obey him only when it suits you? Or do you say, I, I'm committed to obedience to him? Do you worship the Lord only when there's nothing better to do? So like it was misty and cold today. Man, a lot of things I can't do today. I guess I'll worship because there's nothing else I could do that. That's not, wouldn't be putting God first. Do you serve him only when it's easy, only when it's convenient, when it costs you nothing. God is to be first. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Remember, Jesus in the Lord's prayer said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, Jesus in the garden before he suffered, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Remember, even in Exodus in the 10 commandments, We learned this right at the beginning. You shall have no other gods before me. God over and over again says, I must be first. That's the place for me in your life. He's first. God never puts you first. And so again, is God first in your life? Is his will ahead of your comfort? Is his will ahead of your entertainment? Is his will ahead of your career? Is he the number one relationship in your life? So we're embracing this truth. Jesus is Lord and I am his servant. God is first in my life. Now this one, would you embrace this one? I have a duty to serve him. I have a duty to serve him. So, so make sure the statement, Jesus is Lord, is not merely an empty slogan in your life. A person might be here and say, "I, man, I'm tracking with you. I agree, I'm affirming all that. Jesus is Lord. But then you might discover, but I'm really in charge. I say he's Lord, but I'm demonstrating by my life and everything that I do that I'm actually the Lord of my own life. Then then Jesus is Lord is just an empty slogan for you. Or a person might say, yeah, yeah, I'm a servant of God. And then search the life and go, except for I can't think of any way in my life that I'm actually serving God. That doesn't work. What would you think about a firefighter who said, I'm just not really into fighting fires. He works for Henrico, occupies one of the firehouses. Hey, there's the alarm, it's time to go. i just a firefighter who doesn't fight fires. That would not work. We think, I think we need to stop giving him our tax dollars if he's not gonna fight the fires. And likewise, we don't wanna be servants who don't serve. So are you serving? Are you serving with humility? Are you serving with faithfulness? Now reminder, we don't serve in order to be saved. We're not trying to buy our works, try to earn salvation. We serve from the posture of people who have been forgiven, who have been saved by Jesus. Now we're serving our savior. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not serving God in what we think is a process of justification. If I work hard enough, he'll clean me up and give me a home in heaven. I will have earned it. No, no. We're justified by putting our faith in Jesus. He declares us righteous. If we trust in Jesus, the crucified and risen one, but our service is a part of our sanctification. Having already been justified by the, the gift of God, by what Jesus did for us, now we get up and serve and a lot of our spiritual growth is gonna happen as we serve the Lord in the power that he supplies. Well, it is Mother's Day. And thinking about service, we do think about our moms. They do an awful lot of serving if they're a good mom. And a mother's role, there's leadership involved in that. And God's design is a husband will be a loving leader of his family and his wife, a close partner as they lead out in the family. And as Dustin reminded us, pointing our kids and training our kids up in Christ for their purpose in life. But there's a lot of service in there. And it begins really at the beginning of it and how, how the, the mom has this great privilege to serve as being a safe home for this baby for those first nine months. And I do think it's important, it's not controversial, just to acknowledge what's what's very clear that God is the author of life. And this is a baby in the womb from the moment of conception. That's just so clear in the Bible. We read in the scriptures in Psalm 139, how God is the one knitting together that baby in the womb. And and a mom gets better than a front row seat. This baby's inside of her and she gets to bond with this baby first. And that baby early enough begins to move around and mom gets to have that glorious experience, but she's serving that baby. Even then, in fact, uh, many moms go through morning sickness and that's a service. You endure that, uh, When Lauren was in the womb, part of that pregnancy, uh, we were in India. And so Joy had to go through morning sickness. I I think the wonderful smells of India, all the spices and all that wonderful. But apparently, if you're an American woman going through morning sickness in India, that can be quite a challenge. But moms, they serve. And then there's labor. And then serving, bringing this child now, a child who's already there, but now out into the world, What, what what an act of service. But then the labor really begins after that baby's now out of the womb, and for 18 plus years, just investing and helping in some ways. I, I, I've mentioned to the previous two services that I want to Google it this afternoon. Uh, how many, how many baby? I mean, how many baby diapers are changed in an average childhood before they are? I gotta really say, housebroken again before they're potty trained. Uh, so how many diapers do you suppose goes on? And, and by the way, dads. Get in there and change those diapers too. I changed a lot of diapers in the years with our three girls coming through that stage. But, but just talking about mom's a moment, man, do they serve. But here's a question. If you ask any good mom, why do you do it? How can I not do it? I love my children. I love my family. And so even all these unpleasant tasks that are part of it, she just runs to them because of love. Listen, we come back to our relationship with the Lord. Why, why, do, we serve, why do we serve God like this? Because I love him. Nobody's loved us like Jesus has loved us. I gladly embrace this role. It's our love for the savior that moves us to want to keep serving him. But the question again, are you serving him? Very often, most of the time in our Route 33 class, our new member class, I'll bring up this this analogy, certainly not original to us here, but but it's been around for years. That, That question, do you view the church more like a cruise ship or a battleship? And I love that one because it's a great corrective with that question. So if a person were to think that being a part of a church is like being on a cruise ship, they're going to have a very faulty understanding of what it's all about. If you were on a cruise ship, I've not been on one yet, a big cruise ship, but we understand how it works. The person who goes on vacation on a cruise ship, they pay a lot of money. And everybody who works on that cruise ship understands we have a role to make the vacationer happy. That's how the whole industry works. Nothing wrong with that. That's how that industry works. But wouldn't that be faulty if you thought, and that's what it is to go to a church. It's like a cruise ship and the whole staff and everybody there and all the programming is for my delight and for my liking. That would not be helpful. And so I like it. People through the years said, no, the church is more like a battleship. So if you and I ever find ourselves on a battleship, that's not for our enjoyment. Not going to be time up on the deck like, ooh, I love the breeze. If you're on a battleship, you have a, you have a job to do on that ship. And you're a part of a mission that's much greater than yourself. That's more of what it's like to be a part of the church. Here's how Paul described it. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, you're part of a body. This is the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of the body. And we all have parts. And individually, he's given us roles and spiritual gifts. And we're all essential to the functioning of the body and so are you serving as a part of the body? Have you found your places of service within the body of Christ and out in the community in the name of Christ are you serving? You you are needed. This past week, I sat in with our online English club and just to watch what they do. And I was deeply inspired. They've been doing this for years. They were serving before the pandemic. Then they shifted online during the pandemic. And I just sat in with them and three of our volunteers loving and serving immigrants, helping them with their English language. It was just so well done. There was a Bible story in the center of that. It's just great to watch these people serving then, of course, we have another team of volunteers working to relaunch our in-person English club in the Regency Square area. It looks like that's coming together hopefully by August. And we have a team of volunteers, and they'll need more, and you can step into that. Uh, they don't like me to do this, but our AV team, usually they want to serve when everything's quiet and you don't notice them. So our AV guys, they're serving. By the way, they were here yesterday at a funeral helping us to serve a family uh, in a time of grief. Our musicians and how they serve and they rehearse. They make it look so easy on Sundays, but there's a lot of serving going on there. We have a team of volunteers helping with Afghan immigrants and hopefully getting ready to maybe help another family soon. We've got a team preparing to go to the Dominican Republic this summer. And then we have an army of people serving in children's ministry and student ministry. And and we always need more to serve there to invest in the next generation. And one of the ways it helps people get into that path of serving children and students is Vacation Bible School. And you've heard them recruiting for that already and that display out in the foyer. And uh, a lot of people have said, that's where I got my first confidence that I could serve in that ministry by trying it out for a week alongside alongside other experienced volunteers. So encourage you to serve in these and many ways, but embrace this identity of a servant of God and then practically step into service of God. And then this, here's another statement I hope that you'll take on with me. It's this one. I am an unworthy servant at best. I'm an unworthy servant at best. That word unworthy here in the original language means this, not deserving special praise, not worthy of particular commendation. And that hurts our pride a little bit. Maybe you're here, you're thinking, I was just getting used to the idea that I'm a servant. And now we come back to this idea of unworthy servant. That kind of hurts my pride. But I want you to try on the opposite a moment try on a second. Could you say, rather than I'm an unworthy servant, could you say this? No, I'm a worthy servant. Immediately we retreat from that one. That's not going to fit. And so I had a chance this week to think on that. I tried that unworthy servant. Nope. <laughs> Quickly got out of that one. Cause think about it. Where did Jesus find us when he came to save us? Oh, we were not righteous. We were unrighteous. We were filthy in our sins. We were running hard toward more sin. And Jesus found us completely unworthy. And out of his kindness, he came. And through his death on the cross and resurrection, he offered to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness and adopted us. He's now qualified us for heaven. But we were unworthy when he found us. But then we say, well, let's come now. We're, we're Christians now. We're saints now. Surely I'm a worthy servant now. But then we think, well, how have I served him even since I've become a believer? I still couldn't put on worthy servant." He's worthy of so much better than what I've given him in service to him. And so, yeah, the only phrase that works is just being honest. I need to understand that about myself. I'm an unworthy servant. How about this one? The verse nine, he says, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? And so does God thank you? I tried that on this week in the office. Would there ever be a time when God would say, hey, thanks, Jim? No, <laughs> I can't imagine that for all the reasons we talked about all glory to him. Of course, we hope to one day through our service to him, through the grace and all of that, that one day he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. But that's not a thank you for what you did. I was talking to an elementary school teacher some time ago, and they were talking about a difficult child in the class. And in those situations where you have a child that really struggles with obedience every day, people start to strategize, how can we help this kid begin to obey? And so sometimes the parents offer ideas that aren't always helpful. And one of the ideas for this one particular kid was this. Well, you know, he doesn't like to be told no. Doesn't like to be told no. And uh, so what's the, what's the remedy for that? I think that's the human condition. None of us like to be told no. And so, no, I, I can't not say no to this child. That can't be the remedy. Then, then there was this one. Well, he likes to be in charge. And if you'd give him like leadership roles, let him be the line leader every day and it seemed like a decent idea to the parent. But when you figure there are 20 kids in this class and they all like to be the line leader and you, you can't do that. So once every 20 days, they'll get a chance, but we can't just give him that role. And then this one, we sympathize with this one. Um, this one, like, well, if you could just praise him and reward him every time you catch him doing something good, that's a great idea. We like positive reinforcement. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you tried to do that, if you have 20 kids in your class and, there's one finally sitting in his seat and you run over with a sticker for that one There are 19 other kids in their seats. I mean, where's my sticker for <laughs> in here? Oh, he's not screaming out loud in the class. Now here's a sticker for not screaming. And the other kids, Oh, what, what about that? So the point is we don't want to be that way. Well, I, I would serve you if I knew that uh, I'm always going to get affirmed for it. And I'm going to wait on that. And that's how it's got to work. You got to cater to me. No, no. Our mindset is I'm a servant. I'm going to serve you because you are worthy of me serving you. And this is a great privilege that God gives us significant work to do in his kingdom. He doesn't need us. This is a joy he gets us to involve us in his work. He gives us abilities and his empowerment. He gives us the motivation to want to serve him. Any fruit that we see in our service to him, that's come from him as well. And he does promise eternal rewards. And this is amazing. We said at the beginning, this does not mean that God is not rewarding. He does. We don't even know why he does, right? I mean, salvation, a free gift, all because of Jesus. And yet he tells us repeatedly in the scripture, and yet I will reward you eternally on top of the free gift of salvation, I'm gonna reward you. We don't know exactly what that's gonna look like, but it's such a repeated promise. Here's God, I'm gonna load you up with blessings. You're gonna serve me during this life and I will reward you beyond anything that you can imagine. But here's one more motivation for us as we consider this topic. And it's Jesus, the example he is in serving us. Matthew 20, verse 28. Remember this? Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus took on humanity, left heaven, took on humanity and gave his life for us. The ultimate act of service to die for our sins. And then he says, now you serve. And we say, absolutely, I couldn't do anything less. You've modeled it and you're worthy of it. I'll give you this. And let me remind us, it's not just an act of service here or an act of service there, but it's a whole life surrendered to the service of God. Remember, Paul told the Romans in Romans 12, 1, that we are to give ourselves as living sacrifices. It's all devoted to him for his glory. And there's great joy in that. Final word is, I mentioned, we had a funeral here yesterday. It was for Doug Floyd, who'd been a missionary for a long time, served at the home office I like what he said in his statements when he was applying to be a missionary years ago. He said this at the end of his writing. He said, I've come to realize life's greatest joy is living in the center of God's will, regardless of the location. I like that. I've come to realize life's greatest joy is living in the center of God's will, regardless of the location. And so today, would you say to God, I want to be right in the center of your will. I want to be serving you. Some of you, even to tell him, I'll go wherever you want me to go. If serving you means another culture, another country, I'll go. If serving you means leaving the job that I presently do to serve more directly in the ministry, if you're calling God, I'll do that. And he will lead. Let's pray together.